you've got your Bibles, would you like to turn to Luke chapter 2? Picking it up in verse 8. Kids, it's time for you to head out. Let me just pray. God, I pray you bless all those helpers and all the children that are involved in things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, kids. Good having you in the service. Don't you love life? Life, is, life means a little child pottering around here. Did you notice that? It's very cool. Okay, Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, and the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Now, it's kind of already been mentioned um, today, but isn't it true that nativity scenes are getting less and less? If you go to the mall, what do you see? Santa, elves, trees, goodwill, lots of green and red, all of those things. But has anyone found a shop that actually specializes or at least carries a good supply of nativity-type scenes, biblical-type scenes on cards? Anyone found a shop around Christchurch? Whereabouts? Nice and loud? Christmas Hut. Where is it? Sawyer's Arms Road. Mana Bookshop? Christian Bookshop? Yep. There aren't many, are there? But actually, that is what it's all about. I, I came across a true nativity story. It's from a few years ago. But, but really relevant. And it was the Sunday after Christmas at St. Paul's Church in Borden um, uh, in Kent in England. And the priest was just about to put away his nativity scene when he noticed that Jesus, the baby Jesus, was missing. And he goes, who? Who, who would? And he's thinking. And then he saw a little boy outside by the name of Harry with a red wagon. And in the wagon was the baby doll Jesus. So Father John walked outside and he went to Harry and he said, well, Harry, where did you get the little infant? And Harry blushed and replied honestly. He said, I took him from the church. And so the priest asked him, why did you take him? And he said with a sheepish smile, he said, well, about a week before Christmas, I prayed to Jesus and I told him that if he would bring me a red wagon for Christmas, 
I would give him a ride around the block in it. <laughs> and at Christmas, we do get some really lovely moments. There was a moment when we were in the, this building, but this, in the old setting and on the stage, and, and obviously, and the kids were doing a play, and, and obviously the rehearsal had gone a bit fast and hadn't, everything hadn't been covered because one of the young boys turned up and he was still reading his lines. And, and he read out his, he, he went out onto the stage and he read out his lines, something about, behold, I bring you um, great news of great tidings of good news for you. And then he kept on reading and, he, and it said, stand on the X on the carpet beside the box. <laughs> And he hadn't kind of figured out. And everyone was very polite, you, those of you that remember it and were there. But I wanted to show you a video of a young girl who, who her parents had obviously said to her, sing up, sing up, we want to hear you. And she took her parents very seriously. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> you know, most of us know the Christmas story so well we could recite it. And in, in that knowing, we've kind of wrapped Christmas up in cellophane. And, and that's what uh, the non-Christians are looking for on Christmas Eve, actually, a, a place where they can sense that cellophane and maybe a little bit un of unwrapping. But many of us have just kind of wrapped the story up in that sort of way. We've sanitized it. And we know it happened, but it's almost like it's just a story, it's just a myth. And so today I want to try and just take some of the cellophane off it so that we can see some of the scandalous sort of things again that are there, the realness of it, even the outrage of the story. And as we see those things, what I would like you to be thinking inside your head is, 
Why would God do this? Why would it be like that? Because actually, it's all about you, and it's all about me. It's all about the fact that God loves you and me this much. So the story actually begins from joy. No, not joy, from terror. Something supernatural took place on that hillside for the shepherds, and, and it was totally outside of their experience, and immediately fear and shame kicked into the, to the shepherds, and they were absolutely terrified. And that would be just like most of us. You know, most people like the idea of there being a God, but they'd like him to be a God who's just a little bit distant from, from themselves. Because personally, if they, the thought is that if we ever let God get really close to us and God saw what our inner life was like and some of the things that we do, he would obviously be angry with us. That's, that's what kicks in is something, as soon as something supernatural like the appearance of an angel comes. People go, ah, and step back. And every one of us has done bad things. We've all been naughty or even downright despicable. And some people have actually been evil. I'm not talking about us in here. <laughs> and we do think that if God really got close to us, he'd see my faults and I'd be in trouble. And so we want him to stay away a bit. But the good news is God is completely up to speed with every single one of our lives. All the selfishness, all the wrongs, all the thoughts, all the, all the wrong words that we've said, and he's not angry with us at all. He's not out to bring judgment. That's why when Samuel Marsden came and he was invited to come to New Zealand and to preach the first message of the gospel of, of Christianity, of Christ, to the Maori people, he chose the same verse. I bring you great news of great joy, was his verse. And the joy and the great news is that God is not angry with us. He sees our lives, but he's not angry with us. He's the exact opposite. He wants relationship. He wants friendship. And in fact, he invites us to be able to have friendship with him. And he doesn't ignore our sin. He's completely dealt with it. And that's what the mission was all about. But our first response is often literally terror. And people down through history, when God has showed up powerfully in a, in a certain spot, have felt the same. You know, I had a friend who I've mentioned a number of times, but it bears mentioning again by the name of Ken. And, and I'd been praying for Ken that God would reveal himself to him. And one night, after Ken had drunk everything that he could find at, at a party, he ended up in bed, going to sleep. And... and as he went to sleep, he started to dream. And in his dream, the roof went off the house and he was able to look up into the sky, into the blackness of the sky and into the stars. And then suddenly one star from way, way away started to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he realized it was coming towards him. And he's staring at the star. And as it gets closer, he said it was like neon, uh, like fluorescent tubes on the light spelt out guardian angel. And then this thing just came straight down into, into the house. And, and, and he said at that moment he woke up 
completely awake, and he was out of his bed, and he was on his knees, and he's looking up, and the roof's still off, the, so he's seeing it now, in an, in an awake state, and the roof's still off his house, and there's an angel in the room with him. And he came and he woke me up early that morning, and, and, and he wanted to tell me what had been going on, and he was ashen white, and he was shaking. And he stayed that way all day, actually. <laughs> I said, Ken, t t what, what happened? What happened next? And he said, I did exactly what you said, John. I, 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 I um, prayed to Jesus, and I asked him into my life, and I confessed every sin I could think of. And he said, suddenly it was over. I said, congratulations <laughs> for becoming a Christian. <laughs> And so this angel came, and because of the terror that it automatically brought onto these, these men, he had to explain, don't be terrified, I've actually got good news for you, and it'll fill you with incredible joy. He says basically this, he says, the plan, the plan, say the plan, the plan, it started. That's what he told them. God had come, Jesus, the Son of God. He'd come to earth to begin dealing with the separation between the Father God and fallen, sinful, self-seeking human beings like us. God was born in human form that, that, that night, and it was the beginning of the plan that would take 33, or it was begun, and, and it would take 33 years to, to complete. And His love was so strong for you and for me that he took the initiative to do it. And friends, this is something that I struggled with for years and years. But God took the initiative. We often think when we come to Christ, we take the initiative. But we're second. God took the initiative to reach out to you and me individually. And you are special. And his coming is completely for you so that you can get forgiven and re recreated to live for him and not without him or be against him. And if you've, if you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're here today, you might be wondering, well, is this all real? Is it actually just a, a fabricated story? Did Jesus really come and do the things that we talk about and hear in the Bible? And Christmas shows us this, that God is both hidden and revealed. And he is for everyone. You know, lots of people don't get it. They can go to the mall and buy presents and think, never think, how did this tradition become so global? How did it get into the world? They actually think it's all about Santa and it's all about elves. But if you know history, the history of Santa, you know that he was a monk named St. Nick, and he was a Christian who was so impacted by God's love for him that he started sharing God's love with others by giving gifts. And lots of people don't get that Christmas is actually about Jesus. And it was the same in those days. Not everyone realized what was happening. Verse 8 tells us that he came to, the angel came to shepherds, and then a whole host of angel came, angels came to shepherds. The equivalent of shepherds today are working men. The angel came to guys who were the equivalent of fishermen and builders' laborers, and they came to the kind of men who'd be working on the roads and leaning on shovels, 
and, and who have it, the working men's bar at the, at the classic old-fashioned pubs. He came to the tough and rough and coarse and rude men. Jesus didn't get revealed to the wealthy or to the teachers or to the middle class or to the intellectuals. But hang on a moment. There were some people at the other end of the spectrum that, could, that are called wise men, perhaps scholars, perhaps even kings from afar, from, from Iraq, from Iran, somewhere in that area who came. And so it teaches us that God was revealed specifically to these two groups, indicating he can be revealed specifically to anyone in between those groups as well. You see, right at the start, God was determined that he wouldn't make Jesus so obvious that people couldn't miss his landing on earth. He did it in a way that people that were ready, people that were open and seeking, would be able to see and find, but other people would completely miss him. And God wants it that way. Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian pastor in, in Germany who was arrested by Hitler or the, the SS at the very end of the war and executed just weeks before the, the war ended, he said this, he said, God cannot be seen, but he's everywhere suggested. You know, we're taught today that evolution explains how the universe and how life happen. But actually it doesn't. It takes more faith, in my opinion, to believe in evolution than it does to believe that all that we have and all that we see came from a creator. You know, the biggest con in our day, and so many people have swallowed it because they're taught that it's true from a young, very young age, is that millions of years makes a huge difference. And it makes something that we know isn't even conceivable in a knowable amount of time of thousands of years possible simply because we say, let's stretch time and call it millions and millions and millions of years. But actually, when you look at the stars, they point to a creator. They point to a designer. They're so big, and yet everything works together. There has to be a designer. Or you look at the intricacies of our own bodies and how they work and how they grow, how they heal themselves and how everything works together. And you look at just the intricacy of one aspect, say an eye. It's amazing. And it points to a creator, not random chance and upwardly improving organisms. You know, empirical science, which is the type of science that can be proven and redone and re you receive the same information rather than theory science, tells us that everything left to itself will run down and entropy will take place. It's called the second law of thermodynamics, that things move towards disorder when they're left to themselves, not an improving order such as evolution suggests. And many don't see God's fingerprints in the universe. And so Christmas comes and goes for them. And yet other people do. And they're open and they're ready and they see. And they discover Jesus and everything changes in their life when they do that. Many people have lived and died without seeing the nearness of God. But others experience the closeness of a, of a forgiving and a loving Savior. And the revelation is all here. 
yet it's not forced on anybody. We have to actually want to look for it. And you know, when people look at Jesus, we actually find how much he loves us. The closer you look at Jesus and this story about Christmas, the more you'll find that you're loved. Would you like to say to yourself, Jesus loves me? This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. You see, Jesus, who is God, really, really, really existed. He was a literal person in history who turned history on its head, and no scholar disputes Jesus being here. He was literally here, and he made such an impact that, that the Western world started um, marking time from his birth, although it's probably about five or six years out. But Christmas really does reveal how much Jesus loves us individually. Because God and Jesus' birth took huge risks. Now you might say to me, but if God does something, it's never a risk. Yeah, it's never a risk if it's just God. Do we have anyone here who's 14? Is Jenna here? Oh, camp. Hey, have a look at how young a 14-year-old is. Don't tell them, though. <laughs> but when you pass that, you can look back and think, how did I ever think I was grown up at that stage? <laughs> Whoops, this is on tape. <laughs> if God does something by himself, it's never a risk. But if he gets some teenagers together to be part of the major plan, it's a huge risk. He trusted a defenseless Jesus to a young female. And he literally had just one shot to get everything right. There was only one plan, and it had to work in the first attempt. And he trusted all that to a 14-year-old girl and a, and a maybe the same age or maybe slightly older young man. And we find the God of Christmas, the God who set all this up, is humble. He doesn't act like a God. If we were inventing a God, it wouldn't be this story that we would tell. He came to the lowest level of the low. He was determined, you see, that no person who has ever walked the earth would be able to say, Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to live the kind of life I did. You don't know what it's like to go through life with these sorts of troubles. But as humans, we could possibly understand a God who lowered himself and lowered himself and lowered himself and lowered himself until he came to the level of a king. That's pretty low for a God. Maybe we could understand a God who would do that and live a life with servants and luxury and, and all that goes with it and influence and be able to just be the, you know, the center of stage wherever he went simply because he was born as a king. But he didn't stop there. He just kept going down and down and down. We find Jesus identifying himself with poverty, with scandal, with shame, with vulnerability, and with risk. And he did it so that he could save you and me. 
I love the line of the, ver- of the song we sang today, which says, he couldn't stand or didn't want heaven without us. He doesn't need us, but he doesn't want heaven without us. <laughs> it's incredible. It's beyond my ability of my mind. And so he wanted to be able to come alongside every single person and say, you can trust me, I do understand, I love you. Let me remind you of just a couple of the, sho- or some of the shocking aspects of what Jesus did in coming as this little baby. Mary got, um, her pregnancy was, was just covered in scandal. She got pregnant out of wedlock, we would say. And a time when it wasn't just socially unacceptable, but it, it had that, possible penalty of being stoned to death and if you compare her situation to her her cousin Elizabeth's situation Elizabeth's elderly she's married she's been wanting a child for years an angel visits her they conceive in the normal sort of way and everyone rejoices when the baby's born and they throw parties Mary gets supernaturally pregnant and nobody rejoices There's shame, there's disbelief. Even Joseph is wanting to put her away till the angel taps him on the shoulder and explains to him, no, this is God's plan. You're part of it. And that birth situation would never have gone away, would never have been forgotten. This is small town, Nazareth thinking, Bethlehem thinking. All his life, people would have whispered, about him, questioning his parentage. Jesus was born hidden away. Only Joseph actually had to go to Nazareth from Bethlehem, sorry, to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Only Joseph had to go to be able to write and, and, and do the census stuff. But Mary went on the donkey with him, probably because Joseph wanted to, A, keep her with him, she was very pregnant, and B, get her away from all the talking heads. And they have this baby that's born in about month six or seven after, after the wedding. And the mother's obviously emotionally unstable. She hears voices and sees visions. And she believes her son is the son of God. And Jesus put up with the whispers all of his life and the insinuations because he wants you and me in heaven. And then there was further risks that Jesus took or the father took with Jesus. The father entrusted Jesus, who, remember, is stripped down of all his godliness, all his, no, that's the wrong word, all his God qualities. He can no longer just uh, zap things and know things and um, create things, because he's put all that off, the Bible tells us, till he came down to just a God who is human. Still God, but not having the personal qualities to be able to do all those things. And that's why the Holy Spirit came on him, and and he, through the Spirit, did everything. Every miracle was done, not with his own power, but with the Holy Spirit's power. And so he's, he's no longer able to just protect himself, and he's been thrust into enemy territory. You know, I've read of some stories in the war, World War II, where planes would be um, coming down to an aircraft carrier that's pitch black, it's pitch black night, rough, rough seas, and they're they're crying out, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. 
and the aircraft carrier either did or didn't, because you would know what, what, what the consequences of turning the lights on and putting the aircraft carrier ablaze is. And God turned the lights on when Jesus was born in a hostile enemy kingdom. The risk, the risk. And Jesus, Jesus didn't carry his before his, his eternal brain with him. He had no memory of before when he's born. He trusted, a, God the Father trusted a 14-year-old girl and, and a somewhere around the same age young man to train Jesus and to open up the scriptures so that he could see he's actually God. He's the Messiah that's been prophesied. What risk? And if this girl and this guy, young man, missed one instruction from the Holy Spirit, game's up. Whenever they were told something, Herod decides he wants to kill all the kids to try and just get rid of Jesus. So he does this mass slaughter. Mary and Joseph get a dream some stage before that time, go and become a refugee, go to Egypt, leave now, get on the donkey, don't keep sleeping, don't have breakfast in the morning, get up now, go. And God takes a risk that they'll do it. Why would God risk the plan like that? Because it had to be a human that would be sacrificed for the sins of humans. 33 years later, he had to be genuinely human. Not Superman. Bullets bounce off. Jesus goes like this, and there's nothing underneath but skin and a beating heart. He's in their care. How well will they actually follow what the Spirit is saying to them to do? So he became a refugee. You can see why some of the things that the wise men from afar gave him were so needed, so powerful. He's, he's often to nothing. They get out in the middle of the night on a donkey with only what they have in the house and what they can carry on a donkey for any sort of distance. And yet they've been given gold frankincense and myrrh to take with them. He was raised for much of his life um, by a solo mother because after 12, Joseph doesn't get a mention again. Mum and dad up till 12, but possibly soon after that time, Joseph is, is gone. He's, he's killed and somehow and he's, he's um, raised by just his mum. And physically, he was only average. Bible tells us there was nothing in the way he was uh, built, he, he, didn't, he didn't look like Andrew. <laughs> you know? There was nothing there that people would say, wow, he's one of the cool ones. I'm, I'm going to follow him because of the charisma that he has. Why would God do this? It's because he didn't want eternity in heaven without us. And his love for you is so vast he was compelled to fulfill the Christmas story. 
And, and he was determined to be identified with ordinary people. If he came as royalty, then really only royalty would identify with him. But he came as one of us, ordinary, struggling, normal, to show that his love was for every single person. And it's actually true that if there was only ever one human being ever born after Adam and Eve had sinned, Jesus would still have come on the cross. His love is absolutely unique and personal for every single one of us. He'd still have had the Christmas mission. God loves us that much. You know, friends, the, if you've already been forgiven by Jesus, as I know most of us here in this room have, if you've decided to follow him, then there's much to rejoice with Jesus about in this Christmas story. But if you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, if you haven't yet decided to surrender your life and to follow him, why not make that decision today, right now, and surrender to his love and to his mercy? We all need a savior, and he's already forgiven you. You just need to receive that forgiveness by receiving him into your heart and life. Could we just have every head bowed while the band come, please? You know, if, if you want to receive Jesus Christ today, maybe you've had a relationship with him, but you know you've, you've really let that drift and you've walked away from that and you want to put that right today. Say, Jesus, you are the very center. Or if you've never, ever given your life to Jesus, why not do that today? And the reason I ask you to bow your head is just to give you a little bit of time to think and, and to kind of think about your own circumstance. And if you know that God is reaching out and calling to you today, I just want to invite you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. God bless you. Is there anyone else that would like to today? You can pop your hand down. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else here today that would like to just respond to the incredible love that God has for you? God bless you. God bless you. This is a great Christmas for these three people. God bless you up the back as well. I saw that hand as well. God bless you. Wow, Jesus. You're an amazingly loving God. Can I invite everyone to stand? And as we often do, I just want to invite everyone to pray this prayer together. And if you put your hand up today, then I, I invite you to just um, say these words out from your heart. And if you mean them from your heart, everything will change within your life. God will do that miracle of new birth within you. So let's just pray this prayer together. Jesus, I thank you for coming, for being born in time, and eventually being killed on the cross to pray for my sins and the whole world's sins. Please come into my life Make me new. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Give me a new start with you in control. I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to live with you from this time forward. In the center of my life. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you to the four of you who have responded.